Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile. In the next hour, Dr. Pat showcases some of the world's most influential people in the fields of health, wellness, and human potential. Get ready to live life full out. Here's your host, Dr. Pat Basile. Welcome, 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 welcome everyone. Uh, thank you for joining us today and listening and supporting the Dr. Pat Show. This is talk radio to thrive by. You know, I've done hundreds and hundreds of shows, and those of you that have listened to my program over the years, you know that. You know that uh, what we do best is bring heartfelt stories to you, people that people that share their stories. And, and when they share their stories, they share it with the intent to uplift and inspire each and every one of us to be the best we can be, to overcome obstacles, to move beyond that which, which we would see as a block or something that would hold us back from our greater good. Today's show is by far one of the most profound examples of how spirit comes in our lives and guides us to a, bla- a place of miraculous destiny. And I'm talking about the story, the story of a woman whose courage goes far beyond anything, anything that I could describe to you, Immaculate Villabagiza, and we're talking with her about her story of forgiveness, her story of unconditional love. Immaculate grew up in a country she loved, a beautiful country, surrounded by a family she adored and cherished. But in 1994, in 1994, the events of history would not only change her country, but her own life, and her world was ripped apart as Rwanda descended into a bloody genocide. Her story is one of courage, it's one of survival, and it is one of hope. And in her book, Left to Tell, Discovering God Amidst the Rwandan Holocaust, is touching and profoundly a calling for each and every one of us to step into our true nature, align with the divine, and take our powerful message out into the world. And I want to introduce you to a woman who by far has decided to say yes to faith and forgiveness, and that is Immaculate. Thank you so much for joining the show today. Thank you so much for inviting me and for the beautiful introduction. <laughs> well, I have to tell you, I, I, I have interviewed hundreds and hundreds of people, and, uh, and I have to say that I read your book, mm-hmm. and I thought to myself, Immaculate, I thought to myself, would I have the courage, would I have the faith that you had to experience and survive 91 days with seven other women huddled together in a cramped bedroom. But before we go to that, what I'd like to do is have our audience know you a little bit better by sharing a little bit of your story. There's a part in the book where you discovered early on in school, I think you were in fourth grade, That's right. was your first introduction to any difference in ethnicity to people. Perhaps you could share that with our listeners. I know, that's right. I remember I was a child, really, and I never knew anything about the main two tribes in my country, Hutu and Tutsi. And I was in a class, and my teacher, who was really, I think, an extremist and who ended up being a part of killing, he asked me 
he asked the class for the Tutsis to stand up and for the Hutu to stand up. And then I stood up in Hutus, and then I stood up among Tutsis, and he said, Immaculate, you don't know who you are. <laughs> I said, no, sir, I don't know. I don't know my tribe. I think I'm, my friend is tribe. You know, but he said that I don't know, I'm confused. And he asked me to leave the class. So later my brother came to me, and, you know, we went home crying. And when we got home, I, I told my parents, and them too, they were so mad, but they couldn't explain to me why they were, you know, upset. And then my father went next day to meet my teacher. And I just saw them from the window arguing. And I was like, why? You know, why is it this matter so serious? And the next time he made us stand up, he told me to stand up with Tutsis. So he, it was the first time I ever heard that I was a Tutsi. And, and what, how, how did you feel at that point in time when you heard that? I mean, here you are introduced to a separation in people, yeah. and it sounded like you didn't come from that place of separation. In reading your book, it found like you lived in paradise and you loved everyone there. Exactly. That's really how it was, That how my neighbors were so loving as what I really saw. And I remember when he told me to stand up with Tutsi, I was happy. You know, I, I felt like, you know, Tutsi is a nice world, you know, and it's nice to be called the Tutsi at least to, to be somewhere, to stand up and not be confused. And then every week as we were standing up, I realized that any time we stood up, we were um, like three Tutsis among 40 Hutus. And then we started to feel shame, like everyone else was almost mocking us, you know, looking at us in a kind of way of that it's not good. And then they would stand up more, you know, proud. So then I started to feel like, oh, my God, what is it? You know, what is behind here? Yes. Yeah, but the first time it was, yeah, you know, Tutsi, stand up and Hutu. Then as they went on, it wasn't happy anymore. But again, you know, we, we played with the children. Again, my neighbors, no one ever mentioned it outside. Even if some children did mention it, I never really attached it any meaning to it. Well, not you personally, but the country around you, you know, the people around you and what your country was going through was uh, uh, horrific. Uh, you know, so when did you discover that in your journey, in your country, that there was something to be alarmed about? I really got it when I was in university. Then I started to hear this radio. You know, we had this multipartism coming in, in, in the country, and we had so many political parties. And then there was a radio. They ended up calling it hate radio. Ah. This, yeah, they, the journalists, they used to make themselves like they are drunk. So they would talk anything you can imagine bad. They would talk that they would kill Tutsis one time. The country, you know, like only Hutus belong to the country. Like the Tutsis are the enemy of the country. And then they would crack and laugh. So no one ever took them seriously. Ah. But somehow I was like, how no one is doing anything? You know, how can somebody say things like that and they never say against Hutus? Why only us? You know? And you hear, like, the government, everyone was making a joke about that radio. But somehow, like, I felt that somebody should be controlling this. Where I grew up, they spanked me when I did wrong, when I said a bad word, when I disrespected somebody. So how can they now leave such a thing, you know, like bandits, thieves, you know, being on radio? and talking how they're going to kill people. It doesn't make any sense, does it? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense now, uh, talking about it, but it was very real for you. I know it was. 
it was very real. So much so, I, I remember in the book that you were talking about um, uh, looking out a window one day, and I think you were at university, and you were looking out a window, and I think you were with John maybe, and you were yeah. looking out a window, and outside on the street there was a, a woman uh, that had been walking down the street, uh, you know, with groceries I think you were describing, and all of a sudden a couple of men walked up to her yeah. and pulled her purse and started to uh, rip her dress. That's really one thing, too, that confused me again, and I said something is about to happen in this country. Because when you see the, the, the wrong taking place now, you know, when you see the wrong being praised yes. and being done, like no one cares. And this is not really how I grew up, how things were before. So when I saw that woman, my goodness, they stripped her clothes, they took her bag, and everyone is watching, the police is watching. And no one is doing anything, they are just laughing. It's hard, it's hard to even imagine that. It is so hard, and, and the U.N. was in the country that time, but people were just freaking out, like, oh, my gosh, what is going on here? And then I felt completely that there was evil, and something terrible had to happen for this to stop. There's no way that hell can come to it, you know? And they were just taking, no one could ever anymore wear something like gold or have a nice bag or nice shoes. It has completely changed. Because I think that time they were training those kind, you know, bad people to help them to kill Tutsis. Oh, so they, they were training, yeah. They were training them, so they had to let them do whatever they want to win their mind, I think, that's how it was starting. Well, I think you called it Devils Controlling the Streets in the book. Completely. I, I think, and, and, and so when we're talking about this, for those of you that are just tuning in, you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show. I'm here with Immaculate Ilabagiza, and we're talking about her book, Left to Tell, Discovering God Amidst the Rwandan Holocaust. And we're talking about her journey. It, you know, the book is, for me, uh, Immaculate, the book is a way to shine the light oh. on just horrific behavior, and really the message that I get from this book, and this is the message I want to talk about during the show, is that there is no room for hatred of any kind. Is that the, one of the messages you wanted it to, to, to have us take to definitely. take out of the book? Yes, definitely. And you know what? When I saw that, when you see hatred becoming small and you see it growing, you want to, and you saw, I saw how terrible it is. Mm. And believe me, I feel that the genocide, it was a form of extreme hate. You know, so when yes. you see the hate taking place, it's like a seed in your heart. And then you feed it. Slowly, slowly, it can really escalate and become something else. Even yourself will say, oh my God, how can I do that? How many people went and killed people and they said, I was angry, I couldn't take it. Why would you let that happen? And for me, we start at the beginning. When you feel there is a seed of hate in you, it is time to work on it, to take it out. Absolutely. And replace it with love. Absolutely, and that's what we're going to talk about this show. If you're thinking that there's no place for your anger, if you're thinking there's no place for your frustration, if you're thinking that you've lived in this place of resentment and revenge, whether it's about politics, whether it's about a neighbor that walks his dog across your yard, this is the show that we want to plead with you to put your arms down, whether they're the arms, that you, the weapons of your mind, the weapons that come out of your soul, we want to plead with you to put them down because this world does not need that. This is a time for love. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll be back with the Dr. Pat Show with me, your host, Dr. Pat Vasily. 
and my very special guest, Immaculate Ilavagiza. The book is Left to Tell, Discovering God Amidst the Rwandan Holocaust. Much more to come. Stay tuned, everyone. Welcome back to the Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basili. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5788. Now back to the program, here's Dr. Pat Basili. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you so much for joining the show today. Uh, very, very powerful story. If, if you want to discover the importance of forgiveness, if you want to witness the meaning of truly unconditional love and understanding, this is the show you want to listen to today and perhaps over and over again because I'm here with an individual, a woman, that is dedicating her life to taking a very, very powerful message out into the world, the message of forgiveness and the message of love. And what gives her the credentials to do that? Immaculate Ilibagiza has struggled through, survived, uh, the one of the most horrific acts against humanity on this planet in a long, long time. And I'm talking about uh, the genocide that went on in Rwanda, and we're talking with her because she has elected to share her story through this book, Left to Tell, Discovering God Amidst the Rwandan Holocaust. And Wayne Dyer, who has been on the show several times, says this, to really know Immaculate, listen to how others describe her. In all of my countless hours with her in a multitude of private and public settings, this transcendentally spiritual woman always, and I mean always, shines a light that captures everyone within its boundaries. That's from Wayne Dyer. You know, Immaculate, we were talking before the break about your early experiences and having a sense of what was going on in your in your country. And at the same time, you know, one of the things that you mentioned was radio, and one of the statements I captured was this that was aired on radio. They will never find any Tutsis in the country. We will kill them, their brothers and sisters. We will kill, and they will never find anyone. That's so right, yeah. Oh, my, I remember that exactly. Do you remember that? I remember that. What were you feeling when you heard that? I felt really disappointment, you know. I, I remember those words were on radio, of course, for a long time by journalists, but I heard it from a minister mm. whose child actually was my girlfriend, and we went to school together in high school. And this is the person I respected, like a father. And when you hear somebody like that say that, who had a PhD, you just feel like all you have believed in just fall in water. You know, you don't know what is the truth yeah. anymore. Because mm. these people, you took them as a model. Mm. And they said, kill everybody. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you know. And, of course, I knew that. That gave me the sense of what they were trying to do is completely eliminating anyone who had been called Tutsis. Even those who looked like Tutsis from who to try, they did kill them. It was terrifying to know that a human being can, you know, make a decision on another in the destiny of a whole tribe. Well, you know, one of the things I wanted to talk with you about was the realization of this. Uh, and we shared a little bit uh, earlier mm-hmm. at the beginning of the show what this was like for you to discover that there was this separation. But there was uh, something in the country that really triggered 
what we were, you know, what we are now calling this genocide. Mm-hmm. But I, all of that, and you know, the assassination of, uh, of I believe it was the, uh, uh, the, the the president at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, some people say that that really wasn't the that really wasn't the 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 thing the catalyst for the genocide that this level of separation existed before. Oh yeah. You know it did because as you raised in my book, in nineteen fifty nine they had the same thing. They killed Tutsis but it ended after two weeks. Mm. In nineteen seventy three they shut off all work, every job in the country to kill again Tutsis. And it lasted about one week. And the same president they killed during the, the, this, the genocide, you know, he's the one who said, okay, now let's stop it. And they never put in prison whoever did it. It was something like, oh, it was a mistake, forget about it. So there was this, you know, culture of impunity, you know. They did wrong, but it's okay, let's leave it. Forget about it. So it was there. And it, it, it has, of course, the roots from the time of colonialization. But, you know, that separation, the, you know, for people to keep secret from each other, the bad secret, you know, people know that they, they might kill you and they will not t- tell you. That was really love dying already from a long, long time. There was matters they never spoke about. So it was really a matter of, like, they, it was there. They have prepared it. I remember one year before the genocide, there is one person who was one of the highest people, like the second person in the country, he said that he is going to make apocalypse to prepare, mm. to prepare apocalypse in Rwanda. When he saw the president Hutu shake the hands with the head of the Tutsis rebels, because they have agreed now to have peace, because there was Tutsis who ran away from the country in 1959, 1973, when they were killing, and they never came back. They told them they can never set a foot in Rwanda again. So they were trying to come back. And then when the president agreed in front of the U.N. that, okay, we're going to make peace, find a place in the country for you to come back, one of them, who was really very, I mean, very bad, he said he's going to prepare apocalypse in Rwanda. He said he would never, never admit that Hutu will share with Tutsis the power. So that was really a person who prepared it for like a year. Mm. They have distributed the machetes. They bought them. From China. Well, in advance. Yeah, in advance. In advance. So for the rest of the world that looks at this, you know, we sit back here and we think, oh, this is just one of those events that's going to happen. But the way that you describe that and what we know now is that this actually was premeditated in, uh, yes. It was premeditated. It was premeditated and it didn't last two weeks. It didn't last two weeks. It didn't last three months. Three months. Yeah. And 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 so many people suffering. You know, I wanted to to get that, back. I'm sorry. One, go ahead. Yeah. One thing I, I I you know like we they killed about a million of Tutsis, but to tell the truth, everybody suffered. Yeah. That's why I said, what is the matter? You know, what is the use of even hurting other people? Because every Hutu suffered. There was a time they couldn't have market anymore. The only job in the country was to kill Tutsis. So when they don't have market, even Hutus couldn't go to, to the market to buy food. They couldn't have light anymore in the country. Everything was so messed up. If you see everybody, everybody, this world touched everybody. Mm. Yeah. And you just wonder, you know, anything we do wrong, it touches 
or everyone around us, really. Well, the stories are horrific. I mean, you know, there's an example that I want to use from the book because, to me, this really got at the level of fear. And I don't remember the details, so I apologize up front, but I, I, I believe you were 19 years old and you were speaking with, I guess, another student. There was a situation in university where people were, were frightened and you were taken to a, a room that had very high voltage. Do you yeah. remember that? Thank you for reading my book so carefully. Yes, <laughs> because I'll tell you, this is the level of this is the level of fear when you sit down and your decisions are whether or not you're going to be killed by uh, people killing Tutsis or electrocute yourself. That's powerful. Would you share a little bit of what that was like? That conversation. Yeah, yeah. I remember my friend actually. We were talking that she ended up being killed during the genocide. Oh, so I, yeah. I remember it was in 1991, three years before when they started this fighting and they were negotiating. And we started to hear this radio started. And then this friend of mine, she told me that her parents, me, I was ignorant. <laughs> I didn't know how it happened in the previous wars. So she told me her parents have told her that when this kind of war starts, they rape women. And she was telling me, I can never take it to be raped by, you know, somebody. I mm. hate it more than anything. And she told me, they will rape us, they will beat us, they will make us hungry, we will suffer, we will really suffer a lot. And she said, maybe it's better that we can finish our life before we can get in that situation. So she took me, you know, slowly, and she showed me high voltage, I mean, 1,500, and we opened the whole thing, and she told me, if you cut that, we pull it, it will kill us right away. Mm. And we kept it, and I was like, really? You want us to do that? She said, I'm serious, you have to promise me that we will do it. You don't want to suffer. I know people who did suffer like that. And you know what? I really, I saw that every day. I said, I might end up there. Mm. Yeah. Oh, and, and that is a story that we're going to talk about because you really went deep inside and pulled the faith and connected to God in a way that most people don't really believe that they can. And that is what we're going to talk about when we come back from break how your story is that story of divine right alignment as well as a story where you now can share what it means to create love in the world and how love and moving beyond the hatred, the resentment, the fear and the anger is what what this planet needs right now. For those of you just tuning in, you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show. This is Talk Radio to Thrive By. If you'd like to find out more about what's going on with us, go to the website, www.thedrpatshow.com. My guest, Immaculate Illabagiza, is here, and we're sharing a story of faith, of hope, and inspiration. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basili. If you have a question or comment, Call us toll-free at 866-472-5788. Now back to the program. Here's Dr. Pat Basile. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you so much for listening. I'm here today with my very special guest, Immaculate Illabagiza, and we're talking about her story. And it's a story that she is sharing for each and every one of us so that we can be reminded that there is an option. There is an option to hate. Uh, thank you, Amakali. Thank you so much for joining the show today. 
Thank you um, for having me, Radio. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, we were talking about the events leading up to, um, I, I would say, one of the most horrific acts against humanity in our life, lifetimes. And, and you, know, you know, all of this then moved into this place where the reality of your what was happening to you, whether you were going to live or die, was right in your, in your face. As a matter of fact, it came right to your home. Right. Would you describe what that was like? for you to see your mother and your father uh, throwing stones, you know, standing up uh, against the oppression. I know. Oh, gosh, I remember that. I remember, you know, like I, like I said, my parents were really people, like people respected and they, they thought like they can give advice. And I remember like about 10,000 people on the third day after the president died, the genocide have started, they came to be around my home. And all these people, they, there was another group of who, killers who were away, you know, coming and throwing stones on them. And somehow, like, no one again was doing anything. The authorities, they were just there watching, and they had grenades. And these 10,000 people, we ran away to, from, you know, to, we ran, ran them away, and they would come back again, like mm-hmm. 100 of them. It, it was so sad just to see that a place you lived in for how many years? All my life. My parents, they were born there. And here it is that somebody's running you away. You know, it's almost like I was, you know, I was thinking about the Bible a lot, about where they said that, you know, what if the ground you're standing on will tell you, don't stand on me? Mm-hmm. And if you hide in the bush, what if the bush tells you, don't hide in me? Mm-hmm. And I was like, are we cursed? What have happened to us? What, how, this is something you can never, never imagine that it can happen. But if we had an idea, if I had an idea, I would not have let my, par- my parents continue to live in that place. But all of a sudden, you are rejected, you know, like a bad, bad thing. It was really sad to see, you know, like just like, you know, you are completely rejected by yes. society. Yes. You wonder if you have been ignorant all the time, you know, is that hatred what it can do? You know, you, you feel that you have lived in something you knew it wasn't too good. But again, you never thought that it can ever reach there. Never. 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 And, you know, for those of us living here, you know, we think, it, it, you know, the same thing. Uh, yet at the, at the same time, you know, there are signs of uh, how we are bringing our anger out to each other. And I wanted to ask you, from that point on, this was really a matter of life or death. And, you know, the action that your parents took to... Uh, to help you all survive was really important. What was it next, and how did you get to, uh, how did the family get separated, and how did you get to the place where you were able to actually uh, take some cover? I think it was the love of my parents and of my brothers. I remember my brother came to me when he saw that they were really fighting too much, and the, the other group was, was increasing. And he came to me and said, I think you should go away and hide because you are, you know, a girl and anything can happen to you. Mm-hmm. And I, he was my brother. I'm like, oh, no, go away from me. I can never leave you here. How can I? What mm-hmm. if something happened to you? And then he went slowly and called my father. And, you know, there's a culture really of respecting your parents in my country a lot. Yes. So when my father came, he said, don't you see that we're doing this for love of you? We don't want to see you. Getting raped, you know, men coming and you can't run, you are a child, you are a woman. And he said, I am telling you, you have to go. This is an order from your father. Yes. 
and I left. I, I, I couldn't even argue anymore. And I remember my father gave me a rosary. That's the only thing I left with. And I somehow, I looked in his eyes. I looked at my brothers. I almost saw that they were sacrificing for me. They have saved me, but I knew somehow that I would never see them again. Mm. It was a separation where you said, like, oh, my. Later, my brother came to meet me where he was by the pastor. But my father, com- I, I knew. I remember he, he put his strength together and he told me, go to the pastor and I will come to pick you up myself. And you see, like, this is just a pride of a parent trying to tell you, look, you know, don't worry. I am here. I'm still protecting you. Yes. And, you know, I, even me to go, really, I somehow felt like I don't want to hurt, to hurt his pride, mm-hmm. you know, to make him feel like he still have control. But he have almost lost it. Mm-hmm. You can feel that he wasn't thinking anymore. And I remember one scene when he was standing among 10,000 like 10, people. He went on a stone and he called loud and he told people and he said, if the government is involved in these people coming to kill us, I think they will kill us because they have all the texts. We are the minority. They have everything. But if it is a matter of fighting the bad people, this group of people, we are many, we will fight them, and we will win. But he said, if we are about to die then, if this is true that the government is involved, at least let's take this chance and pray and ask for forgiveness for what we have done so we can go to heaven. And you can, I can never forget that time. The whole group went quiet. Quiet in a second, like, oh, my gosh. You know, everyone realized that, oh, we are dying. Mm. And dying in your own place where you, you grew up. And by the hands of your brother, the people you, you anyway. Wow. You, yes, the people <laughs> that you played with, the people yeah, you, that you shared, your neighbors. Your neighbors. And that is really, again, it's not about the people. It's about that hatred we let grow in our hearts. When we let it grow, we take pride in being angry and hitting another person in backstabbing. And why do we hurt each other when love is available? When love is possible. That is the question. Why do we hurt each other when love is available? Exactly. That is the question. That's the question for each of us to ask every day. And, you know, your journey and the reason that you and I are having this conversation, Mm -hmm. I I would say, you know, for me, it has to do with your steadfast uh, conviction and faith. And, you know, the story that you tell is one where you actually were able to get some protection. But I, I would love for you to share what you are faced with, what actually came to be for you, and how you were able to survive. Mm. Wow, good question. So that day my father, they asked me to go. I left. I said bye, and it was the last time. I went to this pastor who was a Hutu because they were not being killed. He, can, he could protect me at least. So I went to him, and he put me to sit in his bathroom next to his bedroom, mm-hmm. and this was the only house in the whole village that had two bathrooms. So already by being there, I said, oh, my God, I think I will be saved. Maybe God made this bathroom so he will save me here. So we were seven, eight of us. We had other seven women he brought there too. And he told us that not to make any noise, not to speak, not to flush the water until the, another person is flushing the water in the next bathroom. And then we kept quiet. We were so happy the first two hours because we said, oh, my gosh, now we will be saved. We are so hidden. But then the whole day finished. I'm like, 
How are we going to, to be here without talking the whole day? I thought it was the worst thing that happened to me in my life, being there for one night and one day. And then another day came, and he couldn't bring the food because his children didn't know that we were there. And three days, four days, but he, I mean, he came like one day later, two days later, he brought us food in night. And, then, you know, we started to eat, but we were still sitting, sitting there. And at a certain time, people killed outside the whole radio, the whole government was now calling everyone who loved the country to kill Tutsis everywhere, from children to elder people. And then we started to hear that they are killing people in public places, like stadiums and churches. And they ordered them now to search houses of every Hutu. So they came to a home. And I cannot tell you the fear you feel when you know that you have people inside the house and they can catch you any minute. They came to the house. It was a group about 300 people. They searched. And I remember the first reaction I had was, to grab my rosary, to start to pray. God, if you are here, save me. If you exist, I've been praying you. I never knew that I would need you this much. But save me now. And somehow they came to the room and they stopped right in front of the bathroom and they left. Mm. They never found us. They came back many times. But the fear and the expectation of them coming back was so strong and was so hurting, like somebody's burning you alive. Mm. And I remember taking a decision. I said, maybe if I try to pray every minute so I can meditate on the world of God and read the Bible, maybe these bad feelings and thoughts will not continue to stay in my mind. And then I started to pray. I mean, I grabbed my rosary from 6 o'clock in the morning until 9 o'clock at night. I, now I realize that it was serious, that it will be there for a long time. I prayed, I prayed, I meditated. I wanted every word of the Bible to be real. I remember asking God, you say that everything is possible. You say that if we have trust of a seed of mustard, even mountains can move. Can you please help me, not them to find us? Mm. And I was like, you know, something told me, maybe a voice of anger, but God cannot lie. It is your trust that is not enough. Maybe try to bring up your trust. And believe me, any time I try to bring out my trust, something else will tell me, you have to forgive everybody. You have to love everybody. We are all the children of God. You know when I say, our Lord is a prayer, and you say our Father, that enough was so strong to say our Father. Does it mean that even the killers are your children? Mm. And if I'm a good child, am I supposed to love them? In the first days, I was resisting. Oh, of course I can never love them. I hate them. I will give them back what they are doing to me. But because I have decided to pray, I will receive peace something again. Repeat, our Father, forgive us. Forgive me. And something will tell me, how do you ask for forgiveness when you cannot forgive another person? And I remember, you know, the rosary really is about meditating on the life of Jesus. Yes. And I remember meditating when they beat him, when he was rejected, when he was carrying the cross. And I started to feel like, oh... He did it for me. He loves me, you know, and he was rejected and he was God. And who am I to complain that I'm rejected? So then that, you know, started to save my heart from so much pain. And I never forgot when he was on the cross. I almost like was visualizing everything to try to make it so real. And when I saw him on the cross and he said, 
forgive them, Father. They don't know what they do. Mm. The key word, the miracle for me was they don't know what they do. Somehow I have been telling myself they know what they're doing. I will do the same to them. But knowing that they don't know what they do, I was so sure 100% that anyone who does wrong, they are in the wrong place. They don't know what they do. They are putting troubles on them, on their families, on their children, and they don't know what they do. And for me to be able to be a child, a God is child, I have to love my siblings. I have to pray for them, for this evil to come out of them. I knew for sure that everyone is capable of being good. Everyone was capable of being good. And what we have to do to give the contribution to the world, to the peace of world, to the of the world, is to pray for each other. Oh, is that is so powerful. That is so powerful. And that really is the message for today. I mean, that is the message that you are you're sharing and you're taking all around the world. And, uh, you know, when we get back from break, we're going to share with our listeners what happened after 91 days, uh, how you emerged, what you found, and through the grace and uh, in the power of prayer, what is possible in this life. For those of you just tuning in, I'm here with Immaculate Ilabagiza, and we're talking about the book Left to Tell. The, we'll tell you more about the book. You can pretty much get it anywhere. When we come back, more with the story. Stay tuned, everyone. Welcome back to the Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basili. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5788. Now back to the program. Here's Dr. Pat Basili. Welcome back, everyone. And what a powerful show today. Immaculate. We're here with the book, uh, talking about her book, Left to Tell, which is really her story, and a call for each and every one of us to know that you can overcome anything. For more information about the book, how you can buy it, and about, uh, about Immaculate's schedule, you go to the website, wonderful website. You can also contribute the proceeds of the book actually go to a charitable fund, www.lefttotell.com, www.lefttotell.com. And actually, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me again. Well, now here you are, 91 days have passed, and all of a sudden uh, you step out of the bathroom. And that bathroom you shared with a number of different people. Was there six of you in there? We were eight of us. Eight of us. Yes. And this very small bathroom. I know. What did you discover when you walked out of, of that bathroom? What was that like for you, and what did you find out about your family? I know. When I came out of the bathroom, I was a skeleton completely. I remember walking like a ghost. I was 65 pounds. And when, oh. I, came, yeah. and when I came out the first night, it is a French troop that came to the country and they were looking for any Tutsi was left behind. So when the first night, I remember met, meeting one of the guys who were hiding also, and I told myself I have to know the truth about my family now, today, so I can move on in life knowing well the truth. And I asked him what happened. I told him I knew. I didn't want to tell him that I didn't know, so he would not hide any information. But he told me from one person, my dad was killed, my mom was killed, my two brothers, my grandmother, and I just said, Look, enough, and thank you so much. I just said, oh, my goodness, is this the beginning of the world? Is this the end of it? I, I, it was something you can never imagine can happen. 
in somebody's life. Why my generation? Are you, God, going to stay with me? Are you going to give me a life? You know, and I felt even then that he was there. And I was really asking, I have one set of clothes in all I ever had. No parents anymore, not even my friends, not even a picture to remind me who you were just three months ago. My house was destroyed. Everything, books were burned up. And I, I really felt like I just fell from heaven and maybe fall on the ground. It was, it was a night I never forget. Yeah. Mm. Oh, my goodness. And, you know, all of this then was not over. I mean, you, you still had to uh, find your way to safety. Actually, that's what happened. That was the easy part. It was to find out the truth. Yes. And then just now move on. How do I move on from here? And I remember I cried for like five minutes, almost like this is the end of the world. And then I said something like, wake me up. Like, hey, you don't know where you're going to be in next hour, in two hours, next day. There is life ahead. And I woke up. I said, okay, be with me. Just be with me. And we were in a camp, the French people, for a one month. And from there, they drove us to the new part of the government. The Tutsi rebels with the Hutu moderate, they have fought and they captured the country and the killers ran away from the country. Mm-hmm. But even to reach that part, it was another, you know, uncertainty. We didn't know how we reached there. So the French were supposed to take us there, and I remember they left us on the way. They left you. They did not take you all the way. And this is where you truly tapped into your faith. I read in the book that, you know, as you were left, and it sounded like on the road, side of the road, and you had to uh, finish the journey yourselves. That, definitely. And that was really, I think that's where God was almost telling me, look, I did it. I was there with you. And even in front of the killers, I would still be there with you. It was a moment where I, I told this friendship, I said, you know what, just go, thank you. And I was, God again, where are you? Don't let me forget you. And I remember being faced by one killer right in my face. And I never forgot how he looked at me so angry, so angry. And I wanted to look down, but something told me, no, God is here with you. He's most powerful. And I looked at him, and I was like, God, Holy Spirit, come here, come here. And the guy, I saw his eyes losing strength, the energy, the bad energy. I can feel that I was reading his spirit, his heart. And somehow he turned his back and dropped the machete. And I was like, oh, thank you. Thank you, Lord. And from there, we did walk towards the new party, the new government people, the new soldiers. And when we reached there, of course, in another story, they didn't trust us that we were hiding, we were tutsis. They put a gun on my head. Of course, I was really rushing. And I remember I have told myself, I would never let anyone take my decision anymore because I was just like, I have to take the decision. We have to do something. Let's move ahead. Let's go to them. <laughs> so when I was in front and I was like, please save us. We are two things. We did them this and that. Then they put a gun on my head. And later, again, by the miracle of God, a soldier who was my mommy's student came and recognized me. And then they welcomed us. And he told them who we are. And we, yeah, I told him the whole story, how my parents were killed, his parents were killed, and then we did welcome us there. And even then, even then, how do you move on to have a job? How do you move on to have a life, to have the second clothes? It was all miracles of God, and I described it in my, in my book, and I can tell you the truth. No, I never missed anything. Everything came on time. When I was telling God, I want to see how you're going to make it up to me. 
I want to see how you're going to make, give me the next day. He did everything on time, and yet I didn't have anything. I mean, anything. And I believe so that anyone who goes through any trouble, if you believe in God and you test Him, like He said in the Bible, even if He's testing Him, I swear He will give you back your life. Well, and part of this was your affirmation. <clears throat> I remember reading in the book when, I think it was at the point where the gun was pointed to your head or close to it, you said, if they kill me, God, I ask you to forgive them. This is the faith and the courage that you took with you on your journey. This is the message that you're bringing to the world now, isn't it? it that's exactly what it is. And I always tell my friends, do not rush to blame anybody. Talk to God first. He can really do every situation. And when you blame, you start to hate. Do not let hate be there in your life, in your heart. And everything will come so smoothly. Even if you're in trouble, be the witness of faith. Be strong up there. God will test you. We want you to see how you will react. Don't give up. He's the controller of everything. And that is really the message. You know, keep on your faith. Do not let anger go in your heart or hate. And you know, when you try, when you connect to God, and you want every morning, every evening, you know, that's the two parts really I always take care of myself, of, of it during my day. When I wake up, I thank God. I, I give myself to God. If my evening, my night, I give to God, and He can do anything. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I know we'll be speaking with you again. Thank you all for listening. If you want to find the book, please go to www.lefttotell.com. Immaculate, you are truly a blessing. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to The Dr. Pat Show, radio to thrive by. To contact Dr. Pat, visit thedrpatshow.com. Tune in next Tuesday for another dynamic hour of The Dr. Pat Show with Dr. Pat Basile.